0: How can we understand why there's so much division in the world at this time between different groups, political parties? That's what I'm speaking about today on the Lenses That Liberate podcast. Hey everyone, it's Derek here, and welcome to the podcast. So today I'm speaking with Monica Burgeau. Monica has recently written a book called The Change Code, and the book is based around the model of spiral dynamics, which for anybody who knows me, spiral dynamics and integral theory have been very, very helpful for me the last few years in understanding both myself, society, politics, and so many other things. The subtitle for her book is A Practical Guide to Making a Difference in a Polarized World, and that's what we're going to be speaking about today. Why this model of spiral dynamics really helps us to understand how and why the world is polarized the way it is, and the practical things we can actually do to make a difference to it. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Monica Bergeau. So I'm here with Monica Bergeau. Monica, welcome.
1: Thanks, Derek. It's great to be here.
0: So you have a new book, The Change Code a practical guide to making a difference in a polarized world. I've read your book, and I'm really excited to talk to you today, actually, about so many things. I think there's so many things relevant about what you're writing to what's happening right now in America, the political situation and the Great Divide. It was actually the name of a documentary I saw a few days ago. I think it was PBS. Fantastic documentary, actually, really highlighting what's going on right now. And yeah, I'm very excited to have you here.
1: Thank you. I saw that documentary advertised, but I haven't had the chance to watch it yet myself. So I look forward to to seeing that.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. It goes through the Obama years and mm-hmm. really piece by piece describes some of the different policies he implemented and then how it affected the Trump era. It's very interesting. It kind of fills in so many of the gaps for me that I wasn't quite sure of um, politically, the different issues and stuff. So, yeah, highly recommend it.
1: Awesome. Thank
0: you. The first thing I want to say is... Your book is so based around spiral dynamics model and I think before we go into even your background and how you found it, I think it might be very useful for listeners here so that they understand the rest of this conversation to take a few minutes to describe the background of where spiral dynamics came from, the importance of it as to what's happening right now and also the different stages of it. Maybe you could speak about that for a bit.
1: Sure, you bet. So uh, Spiral Dynamics is based on the work of a developmental psychologist named Claire W. Graves, who was a professor at Union College in Schenectady, New York. And he used to teach psychology classes and his students would come to him and say, "Um, which is the correct theory? You know, you've taught us all of these different models, which one is the correct one? And it would be really frustrating to Graves to not know the correct answer. And so he set out on a journey to really find out uh, what does a healthy human being look like? And so he did uh, over 10 years worth of research with almost a thousand people and did uh, even more uh, years, almost 10 years, um, analyzing that data that he collected and what was interesting about his approach is that he didn't start off with the hypotheses that he was trying to prove he really just set out to collect the data and then let the data tell the story and he had a, a group of analysts that he worked with as well that he would throw his data out to and have them look for patterns and as a result of all of this research really what he discovered was the underlying pattern for human change as well as societal change and evolution. And so it's extremely powerful as you can imagine to actually understand the pattern of change that we go through both as individuals and societies. And there's several reasons why that's so powerful. You know, one, it helps you understand where you've been. It also gives a lot of context to where we are today including the polarization and sometimes the feelings of chaos that we have with the negative headlines and just all of the crazy things kind of happening in the world today. So it really provides a lot of context for that. Plus one of the most exciting aspects of this theory is it really gives us um, a look at what's possible for humanity and what our potential next steps might be. And so for me personally, It gave me a lot of comfort because um, when I kind of sought out on this, or set out on this journey to write this book, I just wanted to write about changing the world. But when I discovered Graves' model, it helped me understand that what we're going through right now with the polarization is actually a normal part of our change and evolutionary process. And so that gave me a lot of comfort, and then it also uh, helped me find a lot of optimism the future which i had lost even though i'm a normally pretty optimistic person and so uh, what graves discovered were eight levels of development and these eight levels of development are the same for individuals as well as for societies you can also see them in groups and organizations and so this theory has just a wide uh, applicability you can apply it to almost any Mm -hmm. situation uh, it's even been called the theory of everything because it is so applicable to so many different things. So uh, if you'd like, I can just go through the the different layers briefly, the different layers of development.
0: That would be wonderful. Yeah, I, I heard you refer to it in your book at the very start as the master code for humanity.
1: Yes, yes, it's been called that as well. It's an extremely powerful uh, theory that can just be used in so many different ways. And so the the first layer, and I call them layers because uh, these layers build upon each other really like layers of an onion. And so that first inner layer is the first layer. And it's also, they named them colors. Actually, Dr. Don Beck and Christopher Cowan, who wrote a book on spiral dynamics based on Graves' work, assigned colors to the different layers. And so the color they assigned for the first layer is beige. And so Beige is illustrated by individuals with basic human needs. Um, they're just trying to get their basic needs met, including food, comfort, sleep, uh, reproduction, and safety. Uh, they have a, almost a hunting-gatherer type of mentality. And so we don't see a lot of this in our society today, but we do see it sometimes. And um, you can see this sometimes among the homeless, or people with Alzheimer's or severe mental illness. You know, they're just trying to get their basic needs met. And so that's where we all start as individuals, as babies, and it's also where our society started as well. So that's the first layer. The second layer is purple, which is really focused on the family, keeping the good and bad spirits happy. Uh, It's very tribalistic. Uh, It's driven by safety, and family loyalty there's a big sense of belonging and connection and uh, magic and rituals are also really important to individuals in this layer the third layer is red and it's focused on action and assertiveness Uh, individuals in red see the world as a dangerous jungle full of threats and that they survive by taking domination over those who are weaker um, it's very power-driven. Uh, it's very dominant, self-centered. They believe the world is full of threats, and it's a take what I want kind of mentality. So, um, do, can you think of anyone that you know that yeah, I might think of a few for sure fall into the red?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure, Absolutely. and even some celebrities, you know, like a Rambo type of yeah. um, persona could probably fall into this category as well.
0: What type of societies would you say are still living at this? stage of development.
1: There are, there's uh definitely some parts of the Middle East that probably Mm. still fall into this red area. And that's part of the challenge, I think, is that a lot of people who live in the Middle East uh, see what we have here in the West and they really want to move to this next layer, but there are controls and a, a governance system that keep them in place. And so it causes a lot of frustration. And that's what causes a lot of, you know, possibly terrorism, those types of things when you get trapped in a layer that you're trying to move out of. And so, um, so we do see that some there.
0: You mentioned in your book also mob bosses and the mafia. That's another example of red, is it?
1: Yes, yes, for sure. And they get to be mob boss by being the toughest person and by taking anyone out that gets in their way. So that's definitely very, um, very much red.
0: Probably somewhere like uh, Russia, too, with Vladimir Putin and the way he rules. It's a very red way of ruling, you'd say, too, right?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of red, for sure, I would say there, too, as well. Although I think they're starting to move into some of the other layers as well. So
0: yeah.
1: it's never completely cut and dry. So Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And just to say, as you're, sp- as you're moving through these layers as well, which you mentioned in your book, as we move through these different layers, we go from an eye phase into a wee phase and we go back and forth as we go up the spiral.
1: Yes, that's right. And so um, back at Beige was very much I focused, individually mm. focused. And what happens is it's like a pendulum that goes too far one direction, mm. um, that it has to go the other direction to counteract Uh, you know, what's been happening. And so you see that between the layers, and it moves from I to we or very communal. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually in the midst of that type of shift right now, which we'll talk more about in a bit as well. So then the fourth layer is the color is blue. And this one is really focused on righteous order. So in the blue layer, there's one right way to do things. So if you follow the right path, you will get your rewards later. So it might even be in the afterlife. So a lot of times this can be certain types of religions or or governments can also be in the blue. There's a really clear uh, right and a really clear wrong, and there's not much in between. It's very order-driven. It's very purposeful. Uh, Stability, it's very moralistic. The blue layer is very cautious and careful. And also very traditional. And there's also a a real call to sacrifice now for later. And so we still have a lot of blue in our society. And we also, a lot of individuals are still in blue. But of course, we all have blue uh, in in those layers that build upon each other.
0: Yeah. is, Is it Ken Wilber or Don Beck that says it's like, it's almost like we have a center of gravity inside of ourselves in an overall way that we may have many different aspects of us I think Ken calls them like lines of development that we have different parts of us that may be in different phases, but overall we're gravitating around one particular stage in our lives.
1: Yes. And and we definitely find that, although, you know, as you say, individuals are complex. And so sometimes an individual may reflect one color at work. And then when they get home and they are able to be more them true their true selves, they may reflect another color. And um, but you're right, we do have kind of a, a center core of gravity so great so then we move into the fifth layer which is orange and orange is very materialistic it's very much driven by technology scientific advances and competing to win Uh, the individuals that are in orange are very success driven uh, but there are many right paths unlike the blue layer so there's lots of ways you can do things and again like you mentioned it, it went from a we communal focus, which was blue, to now orange is very individualistic. And so our society is actually primarily in this orange layer right now, although we're in the process of moving out of it. And so um, we're starting to see some of the effects of that. So one of the things about these layers is that uh, they solve problems from the layer before, but they also end up causing their own problems uh, when they go too far. And so we're starting to see some of the problems of going too far into orange, you know, with the plastics in the ocean and um the kind of corporate greed that's taken over a lot of our society. Uh those types of things are examples of orange going too far. And so that's why we're starting to see a shift now to the next layer, which is mm. green. Um, Green is very much uh, focused on healing the self and healing the planet. Uh, It's focused on equality and creating networks. There's an importance for values, consensus, and uh, decision-making. They like to have everyone agree. And they really dislike hierarchy. So they want to uh, get rid of all hierarchy and have everyone on an even playing field. Um, They seek inner peace. Uh, everyone's equal and political correctness is really important in the green layer. And so we're starting to see that emerge as our, our core layer of our society, um, which is causing a lot of the tensions right now. That is, yeah. And you can also see signs of that. Um, as you go through society, I always find it interesting. I, I do a fair amount of traveling and, you know, you used to see, um, uh, Cinnabon in every single airport you know in every corner and now you see green smoothie stations and mm, yeah. uh, that sort of thing not at every airport but a good number of them you're starting to see that shift um, into that more healthy heal thyself heal the planet focus even at our airports so
0: so these are all referred to in in the model then as as first tier stages and then we're going to move into something a bit different right?
1: Yes. And this is where it gets really exciting. And so Claire W. Graves, uh, and in fact, he had to go back and check his research because once uh, some individuals moved in his study from green into yellow, they no longer fit the descriptions. And he realized this was something totally different. Mm. And so it really puzzled him for a while. And then he began to study it and realized it was um, the evolution of a, an entirely new layer. And it he calls it second tier. And he actually created an article back in The Futurist, I think it was 1974, called Mankind Prepares for a Momentous Leap. And what he's talking about is the leap from the green layer into this yellow layer, which he... Uh, says is the start of what he calls second tier. And so second tier layers are able to handle more complexity than all of the first tier layers combined. And so all of these layers are um, based on our life conditions that determines where we are within the different layers. And so this yellow layer has just a tremendous amount of coping ability uh, they are also able to really use both sides of their brain. Um, there's a, a release of a lot of fear and anxiety. They're no longer driven by fear,
0: mm.
1: which is one of the predominant signs. They're uh, very focused on personal freedom. So it does go back to an individualistic layer from from green, which is communal. But they understand that they can do it without harming others or without uh, excessive self-interest. So they're focused on themselves, but they're doing it in a way that doesn't hurt others and without too much self-interest. They really demand open systems. Uh, Functionality is really key. One of the things about uh, functionality is they are able to look at all of the different kind of theories and belief systems and research out there and really pick the best of all of it so they don't get tied into one type of dogma or one type of belief system, they're able to see beyond that, and really able to pull out the best to create what's really most functional. Uh, They are driven by flow and flexibility, Um, competence is really key, and spontaneity. They're also very principled and believe in acceptance of change, and they're also acceptance of, of chaos. Um, but they're able to see the big picture. So one of the things that's really unique about individuals and societies uh, that are in yellow is that they understand that we have individuals in every layer that we just talked about, every value system layer and that it's always going to be that way and you can't change people necessarily. So you really have to be able to meet people where they are. And so if you're in the yellow layer you're really able to do that they're almost like um, a chameleon in the fact that they can interact with individuals in every layer and really relate to them and understand their perspective while also understanding how they fit into the whole so it's a, a really almost a whole new level of of humanity and it's very exciting and of course we do have individuals in our society that are already into yellow and maybe even moving into the next layer. We just don't uh, have any societies that are fully into yellow yet.
0: So then we come to the the last one we're going to discuss, at least at this stage of our evolution that's around.
1: Yes. So the eighth layer is turquoise. And turquoise is still second tier, so it still has um, this capacity to deal with all of this complexity. Uh, but the focus is really on the power of the universe and looking at the good of all living things. So not just humans, but also looking at animals and plants and the planet as a whole, Uh, looking at integrated systems. Uh, Turquoise is very capable, but also very spiritually oriented. So uh, back at level uh, four, blue, uh, can often be very religious. Mm. And so level eight turquoise is very spiritually oriented. So there is a connection to something beyond the self, um, just maybe without the religious kind of dogma pieces. Uh, they appreciate awe, reverence, gratitude, unity, and simplicity. And they just honor all living things. So it's, uh sounds pretty amazing to me. <laughs>
0: There's a lovely sentence here in your book that I just want to emphasize before we go forward, which is around describing the system versus types of people. You say in your book, you say the system describes systems within people and not types of people.
1: Exactly. And I think that's one of the problems we see in our society today is we start categorizing people as certain types of people, which then creates that us versus them mentality. But the reality of, of these different layers is that we all move through the same layers in the exact same order. And so we all have the other layers within us. And so it's kind of silly to be judgmental about those other layers, even though that's kind of our tendency as humans is to look down on the previous layers before ours and also to fear the next layers because they represent such a, a paradigm shift for us.
0: Yeah. I think one of the criticisms that I see in a lot of message boards or groups on Facebook about spiral dynamics or integral theory from Ken's work is that it's very often used by people to take a sense of moral superiority, and and it is very subtle actually. It's a sense where because I understand this, I must automatically be in at least a green or yellow stage of development, and therefore you know whoever else is in a blue stage or whatever is, even though it's not said explicitly. It's just sort of implicit in what's happening that clearly I'm, I'm further more evolved. So it's like, how can we hold this map in a way that we can use it, that we're not using it to bolster up a false sense of self at the same time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that is a, a danger with using this theory, especially when you first learn about it. And when I teach workshops, a lot of times that's the first thing people say. Uh, but the reality is that you know, if we move into yellow or turquoise, we lose that uh, judgment of others. We're not looking down on others. If we are feeling that level of superiority, um, it call it kind of falls into the, the realm of that overly uh, political correct, which can be a, a downside of green, is that mm. you want to uh, line up the moral standards for everyone and have everyone be in agreement. But um, you know, the reality is, is that um, all layers have value and that it's important to remember that it's just different perspectives and different ways of viewing the world.
0: Got it. Yeah. Well, I'm cu- really curious, Monica, if you could say a little bit about your background, how you came to this yourself and how it's really directly impacted your life.
1: Yeah, sure. So. Uh, my background has been primarily in healthcare. I spent more than two decades and actually still work in healthcare in the transformation area. So, trying to move to new types of payment models that are really based more on wellness and keeping people healthy. Uh, but I've also worked uh, with entrepreneurs. I've done a lot of consulting and business development, those types of things. Mm. And then I uh, wrote an article a number of years ago that was in Huffington Post called Seven Ways to Change the World, uh, just because I've always had a need to try to make a difference in the world. And even you know five, six years later, I was still getting emails from people around the world that said that that article inspired them to take positive action. And so it really showed me the power of a simple but optimistic message to share with people. And it also is kind of what prompted me to write the book. And then I, I feel like once you really step into something that's out of your comfort zone, but you, you fully step into it, that the universe begins to work with you. And so all of these doors began to open for me. And literally within the first month of me deciding to write this book, I heard about a class on spiral dynamics, which I had never heard of, even uh, though I have a a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in management and organizational leadership. So you would have thought I would have heard of spiral dynamics, but for lots of reasons uh, it's not necessarily in the mainstream curriculum. So I thought, well, that sounds interesting. But then after the first class um, to say it it blew my mind is an understatement. It completely changed the way I looked at the world. And um, as I mentioned earlier, it gave me so much comfort to know that some of this uh, stress and chaos that we're going through right now is part of a normal change and development process. And then when I learned about second tier and what was possible for humanity, I got really excited and felt like, you know, I want to share this with other people who are in the space of change and transformation because I could see how it could be applied to so many instances of change, you know, change leadership and change development around the world, uh, including, you know, applying it to some of the, the hot spots we see around the world.
0: Mm. Do you think most of the people who'd be interested in this conversation in your book and in the work that you do, that they'd be primarily coming from yellow if you're speaking about these higher stages? I'm curious your experience of the people you interact with, who's attracted to this conversation in your experience?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I have found uh, individuals in green uh, are really uh, interested in this theory. And I think that's part of what explains why Graves' model didn't really take off because he really started bringing this out to people in the 70s where our society was, you know, maybe at blue or just moving into orange Um, or actually probably was in early stage orange at that time. Uh, So there wasn't the inner self-reflection and inner development and growth that you start to see at green. And one of the things that develops at green that I I feel like is just a game changer is the, the sense of empathy that really develops at the green level. And so we go from seeing what's happening in the world and having some sympathy for other people to actually being able to feel what they feel, Mm. uh, that sense of empathy. And I feel like a lot of people are stepping into that empathy right now or have maybe been there for a while, and it can be really stressful and overwhelming because all of a sudden you're feeling highly sensitive and you can feel you know, deep pains of what's happening to other people in the world and animals and those sorts of things. And so people are starting to look for solutions to... Mm really help the world, uh, as well as to help heal themselves.
0: Yeah. As I think I mentioned to you at the beginning, what excites me most about having a conversation like this with you and this model in general is how can I as an individual contribute towards healing or helping or even adding less to a divided society in America? Like you said, on a personal level, I came across this model a few years ago and it just blew my mind. I came through, I came across it through the integral theory of Ken Wilber, and I was just mesmerized by it. I just thought, this is unbelievable. I'd heard about it for years and years, but I obviously wasn't ready to hear it or integrate it in a particular way. But over the last few years, as I've been considering it, it's really occurred to me more and more the value it has for American society, because it sounds like for both you and me, we're seeing American society and the divisiveness through a particular lens right now that's giving both of us hope. That were actually not lost in the, yeah, this tremendous division that's happening. One of the things you mentioned in your book, the, the Russell effect. You're talking about that on the extremes and the polarities of any situation. The extremes are always the most vocal people, and I think often that can even seem like things are even more polarized than they are. What do you think is happening in terms of the spiral model, in terms of the political polarization that's happening these days, and? maybe just saying a little bit too about these different value systems of blue, orange and green and where they align roughly with the political parties or with what's happening right now. I'd be curious to your take.
1: Yeah, um, so there's a lot there to unwrap, but um, yeah. basically what I discovered in doing my research and I I really was overzealous in my research about polarization. I, I went down a lot of rabbit holes, but had a, had a great time because I felt like that was so key because if we're not able to even talk to each other? How are we going to solve these problems together? And so I felt like we needed to get to the root cause of polarization. And what I discovered is that individuals are not as polarized as it seems. So there's a study out there um, called uh, by Hidden tribes.us that has surveyed thousands of people across the United States. And what they found is that most individuals fall either slightly left or slightly right of the middle. And so for the majority of us, we really don't feel like we're represented by either political party. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what's happened with our political parties, some of it is due to the way that funding comes to candidates and uh, just the way our political system is structured, that the political parties have each become more extreme. And like you said, the Russell effect, the individuals that um, are the most extreme are the ones that are willing to spend the most money on political campaigns to try to get their point across. Mm -hmm. And they're also the loudest and most vocal. And so it creates this um, unhealthy cycle of uh, exaggerated polarization. So we have these political parties that are uh, polarized. And then we have the media that tends to focus on those sensationalized stories. So you don't see a lot of stories on the news of people that are in the middle with moderate views. You see people that are far left and far right. And so that's what also ends up on our social media. And so as a result, we start to view people from the other party as being far worse than they actually are or farther to the left or the right than they actually are, unfortunately. And we're really in just kind of that unhealthy cycle uh, at the moment. And it's a, it's a challenging one to break.
0: Do you agree with the generalization that I've heard in lots of places that say the Republican Party is more generally in a blue stage of development, the traditional Democratic Party, more of an orange value system, and then the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, say Bernie Sanders and AOC and other people are more in that green value system. Do you resonate with that?
1: I think that's fairly accurate. I would say that some of the orange is also um, probably in the more conservative camp because they're very business focused. Yes, and yes. Very focused on taxes, but there are a fair number of individuals that are in the orange layer that are also. Uh, leaning more democratic because they're progressive socially, even though they might be fiscally conservative. And so so that is generally how it lines out, although, um, of course, individuals are complex and not everyone aligns along those lines. But uh, one of the reasons that we're seeing so much uh, friction right now between the different parties is because our society is in the midst of a major paradigm shift. So as I mentioned earlier, our society has been primarily in the orange uh, materialistic, success-driven value system or layer for a number of years. Since the Industrial Revolution, we've been in this orange layer.
0: I think you mentioned in your book too that the since the Civil War, am I correct, that that was like the transition in American society from blue to orange? Is that right?
1: Yes, it was. Yep. And we're starting to see, unfortunately, a lot of the same polarizations that were um, in our country at the time of the Civil War. In fact, my mentor, Dr. Don Beck, wrote his PhD dissertation on the causes of the Civil War. And he has a lot of concern for the times right now because we are seeing a lot of the same types of divides that we saw at the time of of the Civil War. But that's when we transitioned into Orange. And um, now, you know, it's gone too far. Like I mentioned, people are getting frustrated with these corporations and that we're not able to earn a sustainable living. But these corporation, you know, CEOs are making many millions of dollars and we're starting to see the effects of our pollution and the effects of, you know, plastics in the ocean and, um, fires in Australia, all of these things that we've had some sort of role in, Mm. uh, from orange being, you know, too far that there's a correction. And so we're beginning to realize, okay, we need to start healing the planet. And part of that is healing ourselves and making that shift, but uh, as you can imagine, a lot of businesses and individuals don't want to make that shift because they don't want to, you know, not make as much money or some of those things. And so it begins, and it also, it really threatens their core belief system is really the issue with it. And so we're starting to see those value systems clash. And that's what's causing a lot of the friction and polarization in our society. It's between those value systems. We also live in an interesting time in that we have the most active value system layers than at any time in human history. And so that adds another layer of complexity to our situation as well.
0: Fascinating. What's happening, it seems, so For at this orange stage, and just to be clear, when we say we're at this orange stage, we're not talking about everybody being at that stage. It's more the center of gravity as our society, as you were saying, after the Civil War has moved into that place. But at the same time, many people still felt their center of gravity in this blue stage of development, this traditional stage. So it seems to me what's going on in America right now is both that we have to include the past and really be healthy advocates for healthy blue values, while at the same time we're being asked to make as a society this transition into this green way. And it seems like both of these things are actually active in American society right now.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, you mentioned Ken Wilber earlier. He recently wrote a book um, about Trump and a post-truth society. I think it's called That's something right, like too. that. Yeah. And in that book, he talks about what we see happening today are blue and orange are really aligning against green because mm. it, um, they have some shared interests in trying to prevent those green values from coming in. And so when you notice a lot of the debates, and that's also why it can be very frustrating because when you talk to people from a different value system, facts are not going to change someone's mind because what their beliefs are coming from are really these subconscious value systems. And so you can share these facts and figures all day long about what's happening in the world Um, And that's why there's a lot of um, concern about fake news and that sort of thing right now. And it's just not going to persuade people because it's at the value system level and and it's subconscious.
0: To somebody coming from an orange or very rational stage of development, that's very perplexing for people in the media and things because they're like, why are people not going along with facts? So you'll see someone like Kellyanne Conway come on as an advocate for Trump and say, well, There's alternative facts, she'll say. It's almost like in that way, if that's sort of a blue wave of development, it's almost like she's hijacking this green postmodern way and using it for her own means there to say, well, it's all just relative truth. So my relative truth is as as truthful as your actual facts, And it can be very, very confusing for people at that more rational, modern, orange stage because they, they don't know what to do with that. Whereas for someone perhaps coming into a more integral or second tier way of seeing things, we're able to see things perhaps in a more nuanced way.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that our society is dealing with right now, too, is, you know, over the, the I don't know, last 10 years or so, or even longer than that, almost 20 years, we started to have cable television and the internet. And so anyone with a cell phone can create their own blog or, uh, you know, YouTube channel, or there's, you know, there's, million different news channels on the internet, uh, lots of different newspapers. And so uh, we've lost our, our shared source of information and a shared understanding. You know, it used to be that you would watch the evening news and the newscasters had credibility and what they said, you know, everyone pretty much agreed with. But we no longer have that in our society because we have different specialized news channels and news sources. and And then we've got, you know, all sorts of you know, YouTube channels and different things with different opinions, which is is great in many ways, but we no longer have that shared um, understanding of of what's true.
0: It's like exactly the the natural sense of being challenged or confronted by what's happening in the world. It doesn't challenge where we are in terms of our center of gravity. And it's easier for us as human beings to just choose sources of information. And we're all guilty of that, that that agree with us, and it's much easier. And suddenly, our Facebook feed just becomes one steady stream of agreement, and we weed out anything that feels anyway uncomfortable to us. And I think there's there's some um, fair criticism there from a lot of maybe Republican people who will call people from a green stage development snowflakes. I think that's where some of that thing comes. And there's some healthy criticism there because there's a certain way in which people in that view or that mindset tend to weed out even more, they want a safe space, they want nobody coming to their college campus that's going to in any way disagree with them or upset the peace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's um, definitely merit, uh, I think, from from all the perspectives. And one of the challenges of the green layer is that political correctness, it, it's it's a good thing, and it's well-intentioned, yeah. but it can be taken too far. You know, I know uh, one of Bill Maher's frustrations is that comedians can no longer go to college campuses because no matter what joke you tell, you're going to offend someone. And so, um, you know, I think that's what you're referencing with some of some of the snowflake type of thing. And so it creates an environment where it's really hard um, to express opinions. And, you know, uh, green doesn't like hierarchy, but green also wants everyone to, agree on the same ideas and they don't really like different opinions necessarily. And so Mm. that can be really challenging as well.
0: To develop our inner sensitivity at that level of green inside of us is a wonderful thing, obviously. But if we become so sensitized to the place where we feel any disturbance of that from the outside, we need to block off or shut off, then clearly we've gone a little bit on the other side of things, it seems to me.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I think it's really important right now that we begin to listen and understand other perspectives, Mm -hmm. you know, those that are different than ours, because when you do that, you do find that there is some merit. Uh, And there's an exercise that I use in the book called polarity mapping that takes people through that. And so you look through the pros and cons of different polarities. So polarities could be things like change or not change. You know, what are the pros of changing? What are the pros of, of not staying, not changing and staying the same? What are the cons of changing? You know, what are the cons of, of, um, staying the same and really start to look at those. And it's really fun to take people or groups through that exercise because, um, people usually start off with a really strong opinion on any, circumstance about which way things should go but once you start having that discussion and looking at those different perspectives you start to realize okay well if we change too quickly uh, you know we're going to lose people and it's going to be expensive and so learning to balance between those so I think we can all do a better job of that of uh, looking at other perspectives and being open to those.
0: Well, I'm really curious in that regard of of your experience with that, if we are to take any of the charged issues in America, say around abortion or gun control, I mean, what's your direct experience of being with a group or an individual in terms of uh, that exercise you just named or engaging with somebody's perspective, what's the best way to do that and what are the results you've had from doing that with people that have been constructive?
1: Yeah, and actually in writing this book, I, I shared an early draft with a really good friend of mine and some of the terms that I used, just climate change and immigration, uh, she found very offensive, which really concerned me because that was not my intention in writing the book at all. And so we were able to have a really great conversation about her belief systems and why she believes what she believes. But then we were able to dig a little further. And we also had a lot of uh, common beliefs about things. And so we were able to find common ground um, but we also kind of got to the point to say well we're probably never going to agree on these issues but you know we're we're still really great friends and we were able to have a great dialogue and to do it without judgment and i think that there's not enough of that happening right now
0: yeah to go back to something we were saying a few minutes ago there around this blue stage and traditional stage of development so one of the things you've mentioned in your book is that As we progress from one stage to another, I think Ken Wilber calls it, too, we develop an allergy towards the previous stage. We kind of go, oh, now that I'm over that, like, let's get that as far away from me as possible. And realistically, like, what can we do about that? Like, what can we actually, is that always going to be the case? Do you think that's built into the fabric of the way society is in terms of this model? And if people are going to move through these stages, as we all do, I think, what can we do?
1: I think some of it is um just understanding these different layers and how things work because once we understand it, we're able to start seeing what's happening even in ourselves. You know, I, I'm able to see, you know, red come out of myself periodically or my orange streak, you know, um, because we still have all of those different layers within us. And so I think helping people understand those different layers is important. And then also understanding that we still need the uh, skills and um, expertise and everything that we learned in those previous layers to be successful, no matter where we are along the continuum. So uh, one example, and I mentioned this a little bit in the book, but when we moved predominantly from the the blue layer, which is very rule oriented, there's one right way. Often it's very um, religious based into orange, which is very scientific, very, uh, materialistic when we moved into from blue to orange there was this backlash against blue and so uh in fact in europe they call it post-christian europe so they have all of these beautiful cathedrals and almost no one goes to church and we we also see a decline in church attendance in the united states because of this the same uh, reason but unfortunately, when you throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of everything from the previous layer, you lose a lot of the benefits. So uh, there's a, a book that I talk about in The Change Code by Rupert Sheldrake called The Science of Spirituality. And he talks about when that happened, you know, we lost things like coming together as a community and singing together, which brings us into resonance and uh, just that communal aspect of a church setting. So we lost a lot of those kind of benefits of that tradition from the blue layer. And so we're starting to see some new types of uh, spirituality and new types of um, ways to come together, coming out in our society, because people are are missing that.
0: Mm. Just to read something briefly from your book here, because I think it's pointed to it directly, you say, before an individual or society moves into the next layer, They tend to regress in an attempt to recreate harmony in their world. We are currently witnessing a regression from the orange layer to the blue layer. Think about sayings like the good old days and make America great again. These are desires expressed by people wanting to go back to a simpler time.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what we see happening. So what pushes us from one layer to the next is that our life conditions have become more complex. And I give a lot of examples in the book about how our life conditions have become extremely complex. You know, our problems are no longer just local, but they're global, and we're all interconnected. And Uh, You know, we have things like climate change and even things like poverty and obesity. You know, there's some very severe problems uh, that we need to work on.
0: When I'm watching uh, American society and that obviously resonates so much with make America great again, statements like that. It's just curious of how where people are coming with that. Obviously, there's such a desire in American society right now for safety, for the sort of ethnocentric values of nationalism that probably in an orange and green have been left behind. And so Donald Trump or someone like that is able to appeal to the masses, or you know, at least, I, I think in the latest poll, 47% approval rating, clearly very high, who are resonating with these kind of nationalistic, blue-centered values, right?
1: Absolutely. And we are seeing that regression. Um, as I mentioned, our our problems are getting more and more complex in the world. And our current coping mechanisms are no longer... Uh, able to handle the complexity of our problems. And so that's actually what is propelling us from from one layer into the next layer. But people don't like to change, you know, just um, by nature, we don't like to change. And so part of our change process is instead of just moving smoothly from one layer to the next, we do regress because we start to look for times when things used to work. And so we begin to look back through our lives and think, when did I feel good? When did things work before? And start to look for some solutions by going backwards. But what that does is it actually creates additional tension. And so it's like pulling the band back on a slingshot. It Mm -hmm. creates even more tension. So that's also why change can happen really quickly, because it will seem like You're going along, going along, not making any progress. And then you'll see some massive social change. um, And that's why.
0: That's a really nice way of looking at it. One of the ways I've thought about what's happening in, you know, European society with Brexit, different countries, uh, the sort of rise of uh, some very blue stage values and what's happening with Trump in America is it's almost like we moved on too quickly, as you said. We moved into orange, we moved into green and we left behind a sector of the country and through the Obama years, perhaps we thought that these people no longer existed in a certain sense. We were vastly underestimating the amount of people who were very much at that blue stage centre of gravity. And they were becoming so repressed in our collective psyche that eventually there was a split in it. And suddenly with the rise of Trump, who seemed more like a symptom of that versus a cause, he was able to capitalise on that large schism that had been happening in our society for quite a long time, huh?
1: Absolutely and I feel like people are starting to see the signs of green emerging as well and our nature is to fear the next layer because it calls into question our core values and our belief systems and it you know makes us question everything that we know about our lives and you know people feel uncomfortable with that and so rather than try to push through that or just make that change, it's easier to want to try to keep things the same or even regress backwards a little bit.
0: Yeah. And the differing of the worldviews becomes so apparent. One of the things I've tried to do, Monica, the last couple of months in really trying to understand the divide in America more is I've subscribed on my YouTube channel and different things to Fox News and some of the other more right wing things, which I would have never done. I would have always more identified with Sort of liberal positions, and I'm trying to spend each day at least as much time watching Fox News and getting their perspective, as watching more liberal, sort of left wing shows that I'm more accustomed to. And it's been very interesting because it shows me these very different worldviews. And one of the things I've noticed about sort of the more traditional Republican view is, in a certain way, they are threatened by maybe some more of the the more progressive orange values of the Democratic Party. But when it comes to the more greener values, let's say, of AOC or somebody, which they particularly detest. It's like, as you said, that movement forward towards this green value is even more threatening. So they're even more um, adverse to that and, you know, calling them communists or commies or whatever they're doing to to rationalize that. And yeah, I'm curious what your take on that is.
1: Yeah, well, I think it definitely can be threatening to, you know, our, our core belief systems. You know, like uh, my friend, I've been uh, posting a lot on my own Facebook about my challenges in trying to eat less meat and to to go vegetarian. I mentioned that in the book. Uh, and that was one of the things with, with climate change that really bothered her because her family has a cattle ranch and they're multi-generational cattle ranchers. So by me saying that I'm going to eat less meat, it could feel to her like I'm saying her way of life and her family's way of life is wrong. And so when you start looking at other perspectives, I had never thought of that and thought, you know, that would that would feel very differently if I were in those shoes. And so I, I think that's why it's important to have those conversations and really understand those different perspectives and why people feel the way that they do and to have some sensitivity to that. You know, if that was my family's income and my way of life and, you know, I had all of my resources tied up into land and equipment, you know, I wouldn't want to necessarily drastically change all of that right away. And so so as we're looking at creating these changes, we need to do it with some balance too and, and consider that that it affects people when we do create change in our society.
0: I'm curious, you were speaking earlier about as we move into the sort of second tier So yellow and onwards, way of relating where we're able to synthesize ideas, systems thinking and so forth. I'm curious how you feel fear relates to the spiral in general. Do you feel as we move upwards that there's less fear or there's only less fear as we move into this more second tier holistic way of seeing the world?
1: So when we move into yellow, that's where we become no longer driven by fear. So it completely changes the way that we look at the world and the way that we're able to solve problems. But I still see a lot of fear, even at the green layer. In fact, a lot of the discussions around climate change can be very fear based. Um, so we don't really start to see that shift until yellow and then at yellow there's there's more of an acceptance and very much a practical approach to finding solutions and looking at the best solutions from multiple perspectives not just subscribing to one so and and merging different things together to come up with something totally new so it's no longer just black and white but being able to look at the gray areas and nuances to come up with totally different solutions.
0: Mm. One of the criticisms I've seen people like Tucker Carlson and uh, a lot of the Republican people, they'll speak about sort of green stage values or people, liberals in that kind of way, having a sense of moral superiority. And I've been thinking about the model recently, Spiral Dynamics, and how it does seem as we elevate ourselves or go forward through the spiral, through the different stages. In a certain way, our circle of care, Ken Wilber talks about moving from egocentric to ethnocentric to world-centric to cosmocentric, it seems to, that feels very true for me, that that seems to widen. But at the same time I was thinking about it, that does not necessarily mean that just because we have a wider lens of viewing the world, that we're treating individual parts of that with more compassion. And I think that Tucker Carlson has a point in the sense that when I hear him talk about liberals, they may be able to care more about, you know, pollution, uh, world climate change, different problems. But when it comes to caring for people in rural America in certain ways, their emphasis is not there in the same way and they feel excluded from that conversation.
1: Absolutely. I think it goes back to my example of of talking with my friend about her challenges with climate change and, and eating less meat. You know, she's not opposed to either of those things. She just wants to be able to create change in a way that still has some, um, you know, respect for their family and their tradition. And they want to know that they have a place in this new paradigm and change as well. And so that's why I think we're going to have to really start working together and Mm -hmm. acknowledging those other perspectives and not just assuming that, you know, things are one way, because there are a lot of different perspectives to consider.
0: Well, one of the things I really liked about your book was you had these steps for finding common ground. And I'd like to get into that in a bit of detail here, because just practically for people, if they're listening to this, perhaps they're coming from a liberal slant, perhaps they're coming from some different place. But how can we relate to other people in a practical way that at least when we go to sleep at night, we know that in that day we didn't contribute to more division in our community, in the country, What can we do practically? Because obviously, as you said in your book, these are wicked problems, wicked problems being things that are very complex and difficult to solve. So clearly these different ideological standpoints and stage development ways are not going to change and synthesize overnight. But what can we do practically to to help that or at least not contribute to the problem?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's some really practical things that we can do. So, you know, one it, it starts by listening and having conversations with other people, even with other perspectives because once you understand where someone is coming from, even if you don't agree with them, it really helps you start to realize that like we were just talking about that the problems are wicked, but that person is not wicked.
0: That's a lovely way of saying it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a really important shift that we need to make that they're doing the best that they can, just as we are in their life conditions and their, their circumstances, and that they have a different perspective of the world. And so um, understanding that and then working together is really how we're going to find solutions going forward. Because I, I saw a great quote when I was doing some of the research in the book is that you can't... You can't move a country forward when you're calling half the country deplorables. You know, you, exactly. you have to start to to bring people together and, you know, honor their perspectives as well.
0: Yeah. And I see that every time I turn on Fox News or almost every time that's quoted so often as a badge of honor now. Like, like yeah. oh, we're, we're the deplorables and it's used. And so all it has really done is create more division even though they were trying to rally the Hillary Clinton and John Podesta people, whoever put that out, were trying to rally their base. They were actually just part of the same problem. They were coming from another very separate viewpoint and us against them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, listening to other perspectives and then finding that common ground is really important. Um, Being respectful, just some of those basic things that we learned in kindergarten, you know, being kind to each other and being respectful, taking care of others. You know, our society used to be uh, really big on taking care of our neighbors and taking care of our community and those sorts of things. But today our societies, a lot of us don't even know our next door neighbors mm. or the people in our neighborhood. And so there's some, a lot of things that we can do just by getting to know the people around us and starting to support each other in our local neighborhoods and our communities and bringing that sense of, of Community and bonding back together uh, is really important.
0: You said something really nice in the book. You said that as we moved into orange, technology replaced human connection.
1: Yeah, and we see a lot of that. So, social media, you know, now we're more connected than ever, but that we also see more people feeling lonely and disconnected than ever because they're wanting true connection, but our social media connections are not that. Meaningful connection. You know, it's like having a conversation standing in line at the grocery store. It's not a a deep, meaningful conversation. And a lot of times, the social media is replacing those deeper interactions that we really need to be healthy and happy as humans.
0: So, yeah, just to reiterate what we were saying earlier, as we're moving through this spiral, it's like each stage of the spiral has both healthy manifestations of it and unhealthy. And so, to be a more integrated person and move into the second tier, It's necessary for all of us, whether it's from the purple, the tribal stage, the red stage and so forth, to be able to take the healthy aspects of each one of those stages and transcend, healthily transcend the negative aspects of that. So what you're speaking about in terms here, in terms of the blue traditional values of community, connection with your neighbours, it's reclaiming those as we continue to move forward as a society without rejecting the healthy values.
1: Exactly, and we also know that green uh, moves us back from from the orange individualistic layer to a green communal value system, and so we know that we're moving back into that, and that's going to help us solve a lot of the challenges that we see under orange. You know, the high rates of uh, depression and suicide, and opioid addiction. Um, you know, people trying to deal with isolation and loneliness that are caused by you know, too much individualism. And so the way we start to heal that is by moving back to community, back to connection, you know, back to meaningful relationships.
0: Yeah, you described in your book, too, some different examples of where a community or society has actually engaged these different stages of development to work on a problem. So, for example, you talked about recycling in Oregon. And I'd love you to just riff about that for a little bit about how the local council there actually included these different ways. They probably weren't thinking in terms of the spiral model, but yet they were very inclusive of these different ways of seeing, right?
1: Absolutely. And that's something that we can do as, as change makers is to design systems that work for everyone, regardless of which layer they're in. And so an example that I used was the recycling system in Oregon. And so um, here The city owns our recycling, which helps. I know it's not that way in every community. But we have great big recycling bins for all of our plastics and papers and that sort of thing. We have a giant compost bin. And then we have a, a much smaller garbage bin and they only come every two weeks. And so
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you really need to recycle or you're going to have an overflowing garbage bin. They also charge a deposit on our cans and bottles. And so, you know, five to 10 cents per item that they collect when you check out at the grocery store. And so it really incentivizes people to recycle uh, those cans and bottles uh, just to get their money back. So it's not just the green people that are wanting to recycle to uh, make the you know planet healthier. It's also individuals in blue that want to follow the the rules or orange that want to get that money back so it appeals to everyone along the the spiral and engages with everyone and so you know the more we can look to design systems that way that engage everyone along the spiral um you know the the better off we're going to be
0: yeah and a more global scale too you alluded to in the book uh don beck's work in the Middle East and also in the apartheid system with Nelson Mandela and coming out of that in Africa. I'm curious if you just mentioned briefly, if you know a little bit about that, of how it worked in a more global scale, in a bigger way of how we were including or how he was including uh, the different value systems for people there.
1: Yeah. So Don Beck, for people that might not know, is the author of a book called Spiral Dynamics, and he's actually got two books on the topic of spiral dynamics. And he was a student of Claire W. Graves. And so he worked with him for several decades. And one of the things that he promised Dr. Graves was that he was going to take this model to the hottest spots around the world and practically apply it Uh, to change, to help change. And so he was able to connect with Nelson Mandela during the time that he was trying to uh, eliminate apartheid without a civil war. And so Dr. Beck actually was, at the time, he was a full professor at a college in Texas. And he ended up leaving his job and funding these trips um, with his retirement funding, essentially, and made 67 trips to South Africa to work with Nelson Mandela and the various groups in South Africa using this model to help understand where people are right now and to really meet them where they were. So Nelson Mandela had the same message of unity for everyone, but he did frame it slightly differently. So Dr. Beck would say, okay, uh, Nelson Mandela, give your blue speech or give your um, orange speech, depending on the group that he was addressing. And so he would frame it slightly differently to relate more to their perspective rather than try to get them to be in his perspective. He also used a technique called superordinate goals to help bring people together, and that's a really effective way to bring people together. So a superordinate goal is a goal that appeals to everyone Regardless of where they are mm. in their developmental layers, and so for South Africa specifically, they used sport. So they used uh, rugby and the national uh, rugby games that they had there at the time, and they ended up winning the Na- the international rugby championship. That was
0: 1994, I think, right? I yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so that was how Mandela was really able to unite groups, really diverse groups and racially divided groups, uh, through the use of this superordinate goal, and also by by understanding the underlying value systems that were in place and really appealing to those. Because what Dr. Beck says and what they really learned is that racism wasn't necessarily the root cause. It was really these underlying value systems was uh the root cause of a lot of the, the tensions there. So
0: that's really interesting. Yeah I think One of the things I've noticed in looking at this model and understanding things in this way is that for the left in America, it's often very easy for them to criticise the right as being racist. And in understanding this model more, things are a lot more nuanced than that. And to label everything as racism is actually a very black and white way of looking at things, if you pardon the pun.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we need to look at these deeper value systems to really understand where people are coming from and and understand their perspectives and not just la- label them as a racist or exactly or other things that we hear today.
0: Yeah, as you were saying earlier, moving from certainty inside of ourselves to curiosity, where we're actually much more whether well, we're talking to a friend or we're watching the news, we're more curious and we're slower to jump to a, a definite conclusion about what's happening we're open to more perspectives and yeah that's an interesting way of looking at things.
1: Yeah I think that's a great way to say it the curiosity aspect trying to understand others without without just judging them.
0: Something else you were speaking about in the book monica is like it's not even necessarily the best thing to have people move up the stages and obviously if somebody's listening to this it can easily sound like obviously if if green is more inclusive and if yellow is all all pervading in systematic thinking then it sounds like a better thing. So I'm curious if you could elaborate on that.
1: Yeah. So uh, one of Graves' um, colleagues at the time was Abraham Maslow. So mm. anyone who's studied psychology is probably familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And in his hierarchy of needs, one of the the top layer is called self-actualization. And that was actually something that really bothered Graves because when he began to do his research, he realized that uh, every layer can actually have self-actualization in their own layer. So individuals, depending on their life conditions, they can be very happy and self-fulfilled and content at every layer and really living their life purpose. So uh, it's not necessary in every every situation to move to the next layers uh, based on your life conditions.
0: Yeah. And something else I was thinking about is maybe let's take an example of a, maybe a grandmother in Mexico who's living a very sort of traditional life and very blue centered sort of life. And she really cares for her family. She's got tremendous love for them. Somebody who's at a green stage of development and who's living in a big city may not have as much compassion, love for the people closest to them as this person from a a blue stage. And I think that's something that's often confused as well in this model.
1: Absolutely. And people can be, you know, just as happy at any layer. And so I think acknowledging that too, and not assuming that our layer is better and our belief systems are better than someone else's, because uh, their belief systems and their life might be just what they need and, and might be perfect for them. And I think we see that actually a lot with um, our humanitarian efforts, unfortunately, as well. So, when we go to other countries to try to help people, we assume that uh, we can just bring our values and have them operate according to our value system because it's going to make them better. And that doesn't always work. So, it's really understanding where they are with their value systems and uh, adjusting what you provide based on what they need and not what what you think they
0: need well said yeah don beck i think talks about a lot of his work too of how people go very well intentioned to foreign countries philanthropists and different people and they go with uh, let's say very orange or green stage values in a society that's maybe red or blue and one of the things don talks about and i think you said it too in your book is that we can't skip a stage so if we want to help a more community we have to help them either at the stage they're at or help them gently transition into the next one but if we try to skip them it's it leads to not some very good consequences right
1: exactly yeah so for example if you were trying to go help a country that was in red uh, set up um, you know some commercial operations and um, Businesses and that sort of thing, if you don't also help them establish that healthy blue layer, that's where you establish uh, rules and social norms and being able to um, you know work together in a community. So if you skip that whole layer, then you end up with uh, you know business structures that have no no guidelines and are not necessarily don't have a, a moral moral compass, which can be really unhealthy.
0: Yeah, it's like that vacuum that's created from the un, from not having healthy values. I'd say in your example, that blue layer that gets filled by people more than willing to fill it with unhealthy values or unhealthy aspects of that layer.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So that's why it's important to have, you know, healthy aspects of every every layer.
0: How do you see this moving forward? What's your sense, Monica? Say in the next fifty years of. Where do you see the world going in terms of this uh, model? I, I've heard Ken Wilber say things like he thinks, I've heard anything as low as maybe 3% to 10% that people are in this second tier way of seeing or their center of gravity, as we're saying, is in this way. But I'm curious where you see this going.
1: Yeah, so that's a really interesting question and one I, I've thought a lot about. And interestingly, the individual who wrote the foreword for my book, uh, Steve McDonald, is a futurist. And he's also been studying Graves' work for for many years. And so uh one of the things that he says is that uh, you know, our our stages, we're starting to move quicker, more quickly through the stages because our life conditions are becoming more and more complex. But really the next eight to ten years, uh, you know, we're gonna have kind of a lot of challenges still to to work through. And so Uh, That was one of the things that inspired me to write the book is I am also wanting to call people to action and for people to really step up to living their purpose and helping their communities and helping to make the world a better place because there's a lot of people out there who Uh, want to do that or feel like they're called to do something more but they're not really sure what to do and so you know I would encourage those people to take the first step because we really kind of need all hands on deck right now this next uh, you know eight to ten years potentially could be uh, potentially tumultuous but uh, according to Steve McDonald and and several others that I've heard, you know, we should be looking at moving into yellow, maybe around 2032, 2030, somewhere in that area. So if we can um, get through this challenging period of time, you know, we could be looking at a second tier society, which to me sounds just amazing. It feels like it's the type of society that really can work for everyone and, uh, you know, really just takes care of people and the planet and that there's opportunity for everyone.
0: That's very interesting. That sounds almost the exact same timeline. I've heard futurists like Ray Kurzweil speak of this, this singularity, the point at which technology in this space of a few seconds will outshadow human intelligence would we'll be in a very different world. It's very interesting that the, that sounds about the same timeline that people are predicting that we may move into more of a second tier uh, state of consciousness as a, a collective.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting time that we live in and uh, it's going to be lots of change. I think we all need to get comfortable with change and uh, comfortable in navigating that change and helping others navigate that change. Um, I also think people who are kind of called to serve and called to make the world a better place that we really have a role to help during this transition and to help create that new future and help envision what it looks like and uh, create a nice place for people to land once we we move through this.
0: Something very practical for people, you spoke about it in your book, as I've said already, that it seems like news right now is so polarized. You know, as I said, Fox News kind of often holding up that blue way of thinking, CNN and other people that more that orange moving into some green and maybe some of the more left-wing shows like The Young Turks or Secular Talk or Kim Everson. Some of these people are very, very uh, open with green values. I'm curious if you have any recommendations for people as far as news media that's more inclusive, that there's more of a a wider voice given to everybody, or maybe you could say second tier news.
1: Mm, that's a great question. I do cite a couple of sources in the book. There's, a, and I'm drawing a blank on what it's called right now, but it is on the resources page of my website. There's a actually an email newsletter that comes out daily that gives you uh, both perspectives on each side of the story. And I just would encourage people to uh, look at multiple sources for information and to not just look at, you know, a single single source but to look at multiple sources and really try to understand you know where that where the news is coming from and something to consider too is once you understand these layers try to understand uh where that person is coming from 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 their value system too it will help you understand the perspective and um maybe why their message is the way it is
0: and as you spoke earlier about don beck's advice to nelson mandela probably in a general sense that anybody who's listening to is something I've noticed over the years and long before I ever heard of Spiral Dynamics or Integral, it's often occurred to me to try to speak, mainly because I've been in spiritual circles, to speak in whatever language that group is around and to find my way of communicating whatever idea I have as best I can within their language because it's equally as valid their language as, let's say, for example, in a Christian group speaking in their language even if they're Buddhist ideas that really tends to create a bridge in people that they feel way less threatened if you're presenting different ideas right
1: absolutely i find that myself i i volunteer with our conscious capitalism uh chapter here in portland and we're getting ready to do an event and so we were just talking about this actually because we're trying to get corporate sponsors and some of those are still very much in the in the orange paradigm you know they have shareholders that they need to make happy and they need to have profits and all of those sorts of things and so to go in and talk to them about how they should become a conscious business or you know do the right things for their employees and the planet and join our organization and sponsor us uh, you can really frame those same uh, principles in a different way that appeal more to an orange value system and so um, being able to be kind of flexible and understand, uh, really meet the person where they are, and not just come in with just your perspective, but being able to to incorporate their perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what's exciting you most these days? What's really interesting you in terms of your own development, or in terms of this model? Is there a particular angle these days that's really juicing you up?
1: Well, this is definitely an ongoing project for me, so you know, I'm still continuing to study Graves' work and still continuing to learn from others, and, and I feel like I still learn something new every day, so uh, that that's interesting for me, and just getting the word out and uh, stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit, because I can be a bit of an introvert, so starting to do some interviews and getting out and, and sharing this message uh, is, is really fun. And then I'm working on some new things as well, some new programs and uh, tools to help visionaries and change makers really support them in their efforts to, you know, make the world a better place.
0: And if people want to find out more about the work you're offering, how can they do so?
1: Yeah, so there's a a website for the book, which is thechangecode.net, and you can find a, a free assessment that you can take to see uh, what your layers look like. Just kind of a general overview. Uh, there's also a resources page with lots of great resources to learn more about this theory uh, and information about the book as well as, as myself.
0: Wonderful, yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Monica. This is really rich, I really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, it was great discussion.
0: My pleasure, thank you. So that was my conversation with Monica. If you'd like to find out more about her work, as she said, you can go to her website, thechangecode.net. And if you'd like to find out about the work I do through the Lenses That Liberate model, you can go to lensesthatliberate.com. Take care, everyone.